Hello, and you are listening to ScarJoa Gogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke, and this week I'm talking about the Nanny Diaries. We're here to learn, not just to yarn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Throughout this series, we've talked a lot about the truth. Uh, We've talked about how directors such as Christopher Nolan choose to obscure the truth, or how directors like Michael Bay wish to alter the truth, alter our perception of the truth. Like in that case, he takes something that's true and he tries to turn it into an epic thing of legend. So Hollywood would thereby have us believe that Ben Affleck is a chiseled action hero rather than like a big goofy buff head that uh, would just joke around with you or that uh, Tom Cruise is a normal human being or that uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is desirable. And in our own recent episodes, Scarlett Johansson had lost a lot of that awkward charm of her younger years and instead, I felt, was really being fashioned into this unattainable, sexy femme fatale whose sole purpose in a lot of these films seemed to be luring men into bad decision-making. She's been all dressed up with really nothing to do. And you know what? I have missed the awkward Scarlet and the quirky Scarlet or the clumsy Scarlet. Or the tomboyish, down-to-earth, wearing jeans and a t-shirt, Scarlet. Because, fuck what Jack Nicholson says, we can handle the truth. And I want the truth. I miss the truth. Because I think what we've learned along the way as we've studied these films is that the truth is, in fact, the most important thing in crafting a great and memorable performance. Or, for that matter, in crafting a truly great and memorable movie. Don't deliberately misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that everything then, therefore, has to be based on a true story or take place in the real world or be really sort of dry and and, and not whimsical or anything. I mean, E.T., the extraterrestrial, like, that's a great movie. And and not because aliens are going to come down to Earth and eat all your Reese's Pieces and shack up with your kids or anything like that, but because Spielberg, as a director, finds the truth in those performances. And he finds the truth in the relationships and in the story. It's the truth that drives that forward. I mean, fuck, Guardians of the Galaxy has truth in it. There's that effortless camaraderie between those characters that is incredibly relatable and eases into that story wonderfully and really is the core of what that story is about the uh the actual plot the villain all that's MacGuffin. but you know it has characters that are more human than say a film like grace of uh, monaco which is you know like she was a real person she was a real thing but nicole kidman in that no warmth and you might be saying oh well that's just nicole kidman she's not a warm person 
bullshit. Don't you speak that way about Australia's own Nikki Kay. Did you see her recent appearance on Jimmy Fallon? She has warmth and she's an old school BMX bandit. So get off her back. So I'm talking about directors finding the truth as opposed to films, characters that feel manufactured. And it was manufactured when Woody Allen chose to have Scarlett ape all of his neurotic mannerisms in uh, what I thought was a very hurried and unsatisfying uh, murder mystery, which of course I'm talking about Scoop. Or it was manufactured in The Black Dahlia, where she was this femme fatale slash housewife who was kind of betraying her husband from behind a dining room table. Or... When we last left Scarlet, she was a sultry magician's assistant in Christopher Nolan's incredibly manufactured The Prestige, waiting around in a lingerie to kiss both male leads, battling an ungainly accent, and doing her best not to drown under layers and layers of plot. But wait, dear listener, what is this beacon in the darkness? Is this a beacon of hope? Nay, sir, is it a beacon of truth? It's coming into focus, it looks like... Is it the Nanny Diaries? Seriously? Are you shitting me? Is the Nanny Diaries going to be our salvation here? Is it going to take some diaries about somebody who watched a lot of episodes of Fran Drescher's The Nanny? Is that what it's going to take to bring the truth back to this particular podcast? I think it might be. So if you can handle the truth, saddle up, my friends. Now, The Nanny Diaries is a film from the year... 2007. I've never seen it before. This was my first time watching it. And look, just based on the title, the poster, the the kind of premise, I wasn't expecting much from this. I was expecting this to be a pretty lightweight romantic comedy with not a lot to offer a discerning, distinguished, gentlemanly viewer like myself. And I'm going to admit straight away that I sold this film short. And I sold it short because what I didn't realise is it's directed by both uh, Shari Springer-Berman and Robert Polcini. I can recommend, if it's your first time dining here, that uh, you try the Robert Polcini. It is excellent. I'm not a comedian. Forget I said that. Uh, Yes, these are the directors that directed American Splendor about um, underground comic book writer... Harvey Pekar, who wrote a lot about his life. Now, if you recall American Splendor, it's a really interestingly directed film. It has Paul Giamatti playing Harvey Pekar. In parts, it has Harvey Pekar as Harvey Pekar. It breaks the fourth wall. It sort of shows you behind the scenes. Uh, They really are very, very fluid in the way that they approach their storytelling. And what I was not expecting, and what was a very much a pleasant surprise when sitting down to watch The Nanny Diaries for the first time, is that they have a very similar approach to this story. They're not afraid to do things that fall outside of the actual events and to get creative in the way that the story's told. The film is narrated by Scarlett Johansson. So wonderful to have her back as a narrator. As we know, her voice is one of her greatest assets. And because it's very much framed from that point of view as a story being told by this distinct personality, she's really able to go back and forth through the story and illustrate things in interesting ways. That probably sounds very vague right now. I'm going to talk about specific examples as we go through because I'm a Scarlet Scientist, man. I'm going to back all this shit up. We're not messing around here. So let's, let's get straight into the film. Let's talk about the film. Let's stop messing around. 
and break down this entire experience. So before we even see Scarlett, as I said, we hear her unmistakable voice spoken over the credits. It's a black screen, the credits come up, and her first line is, and we always talk about her first line in these films, name Annie Braddock, age 21, area of interest, anthropology. And this is quite a tight script. Then, you know, this was based on a book. That's how you know that this is the real deal. So this idea of anthropology and uh, how all that unfolds, it's important to the story. And she gets first billing, of course. Finally, this is what we've been waiting for. Her star has been rising. She's been in all these big films with these big directors, but she has not been the star of the film. I want her to be the person. She's an A-list actor. Let's see her headline some films and the films be about her and her character. Give her agency. Don't just make her an accessory to the men. This is what we've been waiting for. It's taken too long for us to get back to this position. So already, that's a big... I'm going to put a big tick right next to Nanny Diaries here in the appropriate box. Yes, already has done that right. And we're only a couple of seconds into this thing and it's already better than The Prestige. How do you think that makes Christopher Nolan feel? Oh, I'm Christopher Nolan. I'm a mysterious magician. Look at all my gimmicky films. Everybody loves me. Yeah, well, look at the Nanny Diaries, huh? Look what these guys are doing already. And it's just a black screen and they've already done better by Scarlet than you did. That in your magic box. Stuff that under your many top hats, pal. So we open in the Museum of Natural History. Uh, and the title, The Nanny Diaries, is actually written on the wall or embossed on the wall like it's the name of one of the wings or exhibits, which I really, really liked. And Scarlett's voiceover explains that child rearing around the world is uh, quite different. She even uses the word mores. Is that right? I'm not talking about the eels. At least I don't think we're talking about the eels. I don't think she was in like an underwater exhibit or anything like that. But what I'm saying is the film's already inventive and off kilter. As she explains uh, the Manhattan mating rituals, we actually see displays of uh, mannequins of all these stereotypes she's talking about and these people involved in their time-honored routines. And what I also like is before we even get to see her, and her look has been something really important to films in the past, but before we even get to see attractive young Scarlett Johansson, we get to know her character through her voice. We, we get a sense of her personality through her voice. We get to construct an idea of what this character is about through what she says, not what she looks like. And very much through this voiceover. She's educated, she's witty, uh, she's very eloquent and well-spoken. She uses uh, the word mores, mores, mores. Not talking about eels, I don't think, still. And then when we first see uh, Scarlet herself, she's actually a frozen mannequin as part of this nanny display within the museum. And I'm very pleased to say that she's wearing a tomboy clothes, got the jeans, brunette hair this time, tied back. And she is arcing up, pointing the finger, telling off a teddy bear sitting on the shelf. Why would she be yelling at a teddy bear? That means she's crazy, right? No, because the camera zooms in and we see that there is a camera lens, a watchful camera lens inside the bear's eye, but no, we go back to reality. Apparently, this whole incident with the bear 
that's what we're leading towards. We're going to go back and pick up all the pieces and see how this happened. So what better way to start than Scarlett graduating from college, high school, one of those. What is she? She's 21. College. I don't know. I don't know how the American school system works. All I know is that they uh, eat a lot of bad food in cafeterias and burst into spontaneous musical numbers. Don't know anything else about the American education system. But uh, this was good. This reminded me of Ghost World, the beginning of Ghost World. Um, she gets up on stage to receive her certificate of passing the educational things. And uh, what do you know? She trips on the way up, which I love. I love the down to earth, literally down to earth in this case, um, fallible, uh, literally falling in this case, a Scarlett Johansson. This is the approachable human Scarlett Johansson. And I feel that she does this so much better than all of that glam movie star pretense. I feel like it's the truth. There's something actually really, like for me, something a lot hotter about her being clumsy. Missa clumsy. She's clumsy. She's falling around all over the place. I love it. And um, later, as she eats with her mum, she has her head tilted down and she's idly playing with her straw. This is the real deal. This is something I've missed. Remember, there was that period of movies where she's always, like, playing with straws and playing with her hands and, and doing little obsessive things. And do you think Michael Bay let her do that on the set of the island? No, everything's become so false and forced and manufactured. It's about selling these ideals and forgetting the person behind it. So I really enjoyed this because I've enjoyed a success. I'm glad she's doing well. I'm glad she's getting all these opportunities. But that whole movie star thing, in a way, has taken away this person that I really love to watch and I've really missed watching. So already I'm feeling pretty good about this, regardless of the story. Uh, then on the way to an interview for an intern position, uh, I think it's a, like a financial institution. This is something her mum really wants her to pursue. Um, her partying friend, played by Alicia Keys, teases her about her vigorous celibacy too, which again is a really nice break from what we've been seeing lately, where she's been just um, sexually aggressing every male character in each film. Like... You look at the Black Dahlia and the Prestige, she's like with both male leads in both of those films. It's like by just walking into a room with men in it is a contract to have sex with everybody. It's crazy. And what I also like about this as we go back into her head is she totally confesses that she cannot articulate who she is. She doesn't know. And that's good. That's a good way to start because that allows growth. This is a story about Annie Braddock needing to find herself. Who is Annie Braddock, she asks. And the great thing as well about when Scarlett does voiceovers is we get lots of thinking faces to accompany them. And I love her thinking faces. This is her finding herself. She's looking at museum exhibits. The film is uh, clever. This is the directors of American Splendor playing around with it all. And then in the park, she saves a dumb kid from getting run over by a Segway. I, it's only a little kid. I'm not convinced that a Segway can do a lot of damage to a little kid. I think that the uh, Segway is going to be more damaged. I think it's going to just bounce off the little kid and um, fall over and not be able to get up like a turtle. That's my opinion of a Segway. I don't know. I've never ridden 
driven, piloted one of those things. I'm just saying it's not a big threat. And the kid gets up, he, he hugs her, he gets his nose all up in her belly button. And you know what? Scarlett has a really nice instant chemistry with this kid. She's good in this. You can tell just straight away she's handling everything really well. And I needed this at this point in the podcast. I'm excited about this. You can hear the excitement in my voice. It's sincere. Look into my eyes with your ears. And you know I'm really sincere about this. I'm feeling good about this one. And it turns out his mother is the rich Mrs. X, played by Laura Linney. Mrs. X is such a, a great name anyway. Let's just call her Mrs. X. No relation to Professor X. If she was related to Professor X, she wouldn't need a nanny cam. Am I right? And she mistakes Scarlet for a potential nanny and gives her her cards. So Annie decides to become a nanny. See, I get that now. I didn't get it until this point. Annie, nanny. I just hope that uh, she doesn't end up out on a fanny. That's my only fear. Everything else I'm fine with. Unless she wants to uh, get a fanny out. <laughs> That's just a little joke for the Brohansons. You know I'd never be actually willfully disrespectful and chauvinistic. Though I am Australian, so I did mean the front fanny clarifying that and then we see her sleeping in a bedroom it's been a while since we've seen this you know tomboyish clothes again blue tank top floral sheets and then a dream sequence god damn these directors love mixing it up she's running from her mother and then the corporation which was supposed to become an intern at a red umbrella is their logo and it pops out of the sign and becomes a real umbrella and she holds on to the end and she flies up over the city like Mary fucking Poppins. This is like this wonderful dream sequence that, uh, you know, predates Birdman. It's all happening here. All of Manhattan gets to look up her skirt and as she approaches the Upper East Side where all the rich people are, the mothers of the Upper East Side roll out all these welcome banners for her. This is the salvation. This is a new direction in life. Also is referred to as terminally single. I like that again, not playing on the, oh, she's so hot and she can have every man and she has every man or everything like that. No, she's a character, she's a person and it's just not something that is in her life at this moment. And you know what? She has really good comedy instincts here. And um, I've been most critical of her playing comedy in the past, but uh, I really don't have any issue with it here. I think she does really, really well. This is such a nice boost for her. And what I love is to see Scarlett being given a film to own and then completely 100% owning it and getting to reinvent herself a little bit again, while at the same time drawing on some of the stuff I loved from the past. But she's elevating it. She's going even further than she has before. I feel like even the tied back brown hair here is an attempt to sort of shake away some of those blonde bombshell roles that we've seen in the last few films. So um, after a few interviews, because suddenly everybody thinks, oh, she's a nanny, we'd like to use her as our nanny, she chooses Mrs. X. And she lies to her mother. She doesn't want her mother to know that she's a nanny. It's a shameful thing. And she heads out to Richville. Total um, a Park Avenue, I think. Total different strokes scenario here. A lot of you are probably too young to even know what I'm talking about anymore. But uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the film. She's in the car and she's singing and dancing to Freedom. The song Freedom uh, in this convertible with uh, Alicia Keys. And this is the most fun I think I've ever seen her have in a film. It's just totally confident. It's funny. It's loose. I want a gif of this that I can just keep 
playing. She does some pretty great moves. Alicia Keys is telling her to settle down. She just keeps pushing it even further. It's a really great bit of visual comedy from Scarlett, and I don't get to say that enough. But she's found it here. She's pitched it perfectly. Just like that film with a similar title. So she begins her first day of work in this fancy mansion. Uh, She finds out from the maid that the last nanny was fired, though, for going on a date. So, uh uh-oh. I hope no one tries to date Scarlett in this film, or there could be some serious conflict, probably around the third act is my guess. She also has hot white socks, which are halfway up her calves. I really like that. I love how she's dressed in this film. And she reads a huge amount of rules. She takes off all her clothes and she gets in the big old bubble bath. Now, it's funny, like, they still downplay the sexiness, though, by putting a poor strip across her nose. Like, it's very much about keeping her human. Uh, She's got a prominent foot out of the water towards the camera, always with the feet. We haven't had that for a few films, but uh, you remember some of those earlier roles, there was always this feet motif that kept coming up. Uh, Also, there's a French reference, which is another motif that's been in a lot of films in the past. Um, You'll often hear her being referred to as a francophile in films or mentioning French things. In this case, the kid, whose name is Greya, um, is learning French, and she comments on that fact. And then this is the the great thing. This is the equaliser. This is the thing you've never seen Scarlett do before. This is a complete rejection of that perfect movie star image. She farts in the bath. This is the most human Scarlet that we have ever seen. And it's funny too, because as I started watching this film prior to this scene, I was thinking, oh, how wonderful that everything's sort of stripped back and that she's really down to earth and approachable and a person in this. I really like this. Like they're, they're showing her clumsy. They're showing her flaws. They're showing her indecision. And I actually thought, without knowing what was going to happen, like, the only thing they haven't shown so far is her farting. Like, is she ever farted in a movie? Doubt it. And then a couple of minutes later, uh, some new bubbles spring up in that bath. And that's kind of wonderful, right? Because when you think about uh, celebrities and you think about people that you really admire or would want to be with or be in a a relationship with, um, something like that, you think about people that are human people. You might get seduced by, like, this sort of movie star image, but that's not a real person. Like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to eat pizza with on the weekends? And this was something that came up in uh, this week's episode of FPcast, and it was Jacinta that articulated this very well that you need that person that has both that sort of public persona, but also a very approachable, fun human living underneath. And I think that's far more interesting and desirable than all the fake shit. The the zenith for me of all the fake shit is the Soda Stream ad, which is like, oh, look, I'm a big glamorous movie star and there's the paparazzi and, you know, I'm wearing a dress and this is going to go viral because I'm attractive. But where's the person behind that? That's all fake, whereas The Nanny Diaries is a very welcome fart in the bath. And then she gets sprung by Mrs. X and gets put into a far smaller, shittier room without bath privileges. And you're going to find Mrs. X is very demanding and really puts poor Scarlet through the ringer in this film. Uh, She goes to school to pick up Greya. She takes a pram or a stroller, as it says in here. You'd think this kid is far too old for that, but that's what she does. And she is clumsy again. 
And then Greya, the kid, kicks her in the shins and tells her he hates her. But I really do like her working with a kid. I think she's really great at this. And she has to actually run after him and try and capture him and calm him down. He's being a a real shit, which leads to a very funny scene. I thought this was great. They're coming out of the elevator at their apartment and the kid pulls her pants down at the back and then locks her outside. Like, it's so funny. She's got just like a pink underwear hanging out the back. The kid's poking his fingers under the locked door. She bends down to grab them. So here's here's Scarlett Johansson bent over with her pants down, with her underwear showing, and Chris Evans, Captain America himself, turns up in the elevator behind and sees her for the first time. This is his introduction to the character, a very non-sexy, undignified introduction. And it works fantastically and she is selling it, rolling with it. Chris Evans, she's worked with before. You remember that they work together in the perfect score, but this time, instantly, they have so much more chemistry. This works for me. And uh, she only refers to him in the film as Harvard Hottie because she refuses while she's narrating this case study about what happened to her to use any of the names because she's not supposed to form attachments. And uh, I quite like the touch that when he says his name, the filmmakers bleep it out. Yeah, he teases her. He's better with the kid. It turns out he's the neighbor. He lives upstairs. And um, she really doesn't want to be tempted by him. She's obviously, you know, she thinks he's a a bit of an all right, but she does not want to get involved. Let's see how that goes. Am I right? And then there's this really fun montage of Greya just being a total shithead, causing her all sorts of grief. But then Scarlet, again, this is so much hotter than any of that big movie star thing. She has glasses. She has pigtails. There's this sequence where she's wearing glasses. She's got her hair in pigtails. She's wearing a t-shirt and eating junk food in bed. I think that's the hottest she's ever been in a movie. I'm totally in love with what is going on at this point. Then she cooks a French meal. French again. She drops a pan on the floor. Clumsy again. She lets him eat peanut butter out of a jar with a spoon. You might remember this is something she did in a love song for Bobby Long. She uses her fingers in the jar. She's like just putting her fingers into this jar, licking her fingers. She gives him the secret name Grover. She's a Muppets fan. Look, fuck, ticking all the boxes. I'm ticking this sheet, this nanny diary sheet that I have uh, in my files here. Because if you came into the studio, you would see that... uh, you know, usual suspect style. I I have all this stuff just pinned up all over the walls. This particular sheet covered in ticks. I don't mean that like in the way that a a dog might be covered in ticks either. Not saying there aren't any ticks in this room. What I'm saying is I don't know. And then Mr. X enters, uh, but he's so distant, so um, detached from this family that we don't even see his face. It keeps getting covered up like um, Austin Powers' junk. Another really nice uh, directorial flourish. And then she has this very sweet, genuine goodnight scene with the kid. It's all just perfect. So, 4th of July happens. Uh, she's got to take Greya to this special event. She's wearing a patri- very patriotic dress fashioned out of uh, American flags and an old ye olde pilgrimy bonnet. I really dig this. Uh, kid does not wear a seatbelt in the car. I think that's a little bit of a nanny fail. We're not here to judge how good a nanny she is really concentrating on her performance. And then the funny thing is she has to go back and pick something up that she's forgotten from the house and she's wearing her American flag get up and she runs into Chris Evans who laughs at her. 
Oh, the tables are going to turn, Chris Evans. Be careful there, pal. Who's patriotic now, Captain? Huh? Uh, and then she's dancing at the patriotic party like a total dork. Another thing I love. No, less. she's dancing to the chipmunks singing the Macarena. Think about that. And she's cool with it. She's that person. Um, she passes a kid who's wearing a George Bush mask as well. I think that was pretty frightening. That's probably the most terrifying image in the film. And then she has to take Greya into her father's office because he needs to take a shit. I think he's got a bathroom in there. He's not going to shit on his desk or anything. And uh, when they go in there, they catch Mr. X with another woman, which is very awkward, although nothing really comes of it just yet. And now we see who Mr. X is, and holy shit, it's Paul Giamatti. And why wouldn't it be? Because they had so much fun working with him in American Splendor. Or are about to have so much fun working with him in American Splendor. I don't know the order of these films. Still, Paul Giamatti. And another really memorable scene, something I liked, Under the Sheets. In a storm, while the parents argue in the other room, Scarlett doesn't just put on a sock puppet show for the kid, but she puts on a French sock puppet show. France, socks, feet. You see where I'm going? It's all there. And then do you know what? In her bed, when she goes back to bed, she sleeps with a plush kangaroo. Somebody is longing for some down-under action. She's got a special place in her heart. For something Australian. Isn't that a pleasant surprise? I'm assuming this kangaroo is called, I don't know, like Milton or something? Actually, it's a lady kangaroo. It has a pouch. And say what you will about me, listeners. I do not have a mucousy pouch. So, um, look, things are really tough out there for a nanny. Uh, she takes Greyer out for a day of doing things. He's not allowed to do, like, um, eating a shit ton of sugar, going to the Natural History Museum, which is in the wrong part of town. She talks about dinosaurs. Can you imagine that, going to the Natural History Museum and having Scarlett Johansson teach you about dinosaurs in that voice? Forward that one to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, she goes to a nanny seminar. Um, she gets the rest of the night off. And, of course, uh-oh, Chris Evans is there at the, the pub she's at. And then all the other guys are really gross and chauvinistic. And, and this is good, actually. This is where a character has more agency than so many of her characters have recently. The, the friends that Chris Evans is with at the bar are being really gross and chauvinistic. You know, how do you know? Is she an escort? All this kind of stuff. Evans is the terminable... Terminable? Let's just say always, because I don't know what I'm saying with terminable. He's, he's the nice guy. He's always nice. I mean, let's not overcomplicate this. He's a nice dude. So he tries to stand up for her, but, you know, she doesn't need it. She totally blasts these guys, and she does this little spiel, which really cuts to the core of what assholes these guys are. She gives them all a bunch of shit, and then ends it by saying to them that their future looks pretty fucking bleak, and then drops the mic, gets out of there. I thought this was awesome, and it's the sort of character we should be seeing more of. Now, I'm at a crossroads here. It's difficult. It's like, how much of this plot do I go into? Basically, be rest assured, like, she's just owning this film. Like, she's great in it. Everything's going really smoothly. She's really confident. She's showing quite a lot of range. And, you know, it continues to do so for the rest of the film. I don't want to get into this point where I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. So maybe let's just brush through some plot points. Um, Mo Nanny, Mo Problems. Uh, the persistent Evans wants to go on a date with her. The mum comes over and she has to pretend that she lives at Alicia Keys' apartment. Uh, there are French clowns at a birthday party. Uh, Scarlett looks pretty great in a silver birthday hat. 
party hat. Could be worn at any party, not just a birthday. Um, and then eventually she agrees to go on this secret date with Chris Evans, and they do have a really great chemistry. And it's a nice reversal here as well, I think, where he's the flawless, charming one who does the right thing all the time, and she's the more flawed, confused, conflicted one. And I think we usually see that the other way around. We usually see these, like, flawed, interesting male characters who are funny and awkward who are obsessing over women that have their shit together and are out of their league. And this time, it's the other way around, and I think that's really good. And there's a great bit of business when they first kiss. And I mean, look, it's hitting some of those cliche kind of plot points that you're expecting. Yep, they're going to kiss. They're going to get together. It is still that story. But I do appreciate it that it's done in inventive ways. She actually says goodbye to him in the elevator, gets off at her floor... He continues up towards his floor. She has a change of heart and she runs up the stairs so that when he arrives at his floor, she comes running towards him breathless and kisses him. She usually is the one that aggresses and he leads her straight into his apartment for the inevitable sexening. So that still happens on the first date, but the film doesn't dwell on it. They go behind closed doors and then we move on. So, uh, more plot, plot, plot. Mrs. X suspects her husband's infidelity. Uh, She buggers off to a spa for the weekend, which means Greya ends up getting sick and Scarlet needs to call her own mother, who's a nurse, and get her in to help. And and by doing this, she has to confess the truth that she's a nanny. And, you know, look, these are very nice, grounded, emotional scenes from Scarlet all throughout this. She really has genuine concern for this child, and she's very much in control of this story. Uh, Evans wants her to go away with him to the Hamptons, put aside all this nanny stuff, but she's still got loyalty to Greya and to the family. Um, So they sort of end up leaving each other on a bit of a sour note. Um, And so she ends up going away on this, very much this is Mr. X overcompensating for not being around. He takes everyone on a family trip. And uh, there's a very nice comedy freak out by Scarlett on the plane as they head off to this island. Um, Then Mrs. X's mother turns up, and it turns out that Mrs. X is pregnant again. Turns out to be a lie, you know, plot point taken from the room. And it's during all this kerfuffle on the island that Scarlet overhears that she's been watched by a nanny cam. And this, of course, um, puts her on edge. And, And this is really the climax of the film. Everything gets further complicated because Mr. X makes a move on her. She exits. She's genuinely shocked and disturbed. And really comes across more lost than ever, you know. And I like that, that she's sort of alienated from her mother because of what happened. She's alienated from Mrs. X because of the class thing. She's alienated from Mr. X. She's alienated from uh, Chris Evans' character. She does not fit in anywhere, and that's the scarlet trope in all these films. She's forever the outsider. And there's sort of absolutely beautiful, silent emotion as, you know, Mrs. X confronts her, tells her that um, she's not going to be working with them anymore. Um, She's wrongfully accused. And she really does look gutted. Like, you do believe she loves that kid. And she really sells the stakes here. And then she's whisked away in the car as this crying child runs after her. And uh, we get one of those classic scenes of Scarlet alone with her thoughts as a passenger again. I feel like we've seen her in the back of a car looking out the window a lot. And I'm not complaining. It works. 
And, you know, there's hardly any film left. It looks like it's all going to fizzle out on a depressing note. But um, when she opens up the envelope to look at her final payment, it turns out these fuckers, these rich fuckers have stiffed her. They've given her only a couple of bucks. So now she's pissed. And bear in mind, they're still out on this island. She's got the keys to the house. So she lets herself into the mansion. She lets their dog piss everywhere. She starts drinking their booze, like just sculling it from the bottle. She searches around for the nanny cam. She realizes it's in the teddy bear. She points, she opens her mouth. She's ready to unleash. It's fantastic. I'm like, holy fuck, here we go. And then we stop. We jump forward again. More voiceover. And we're back to this idea of anthropology again. She's talking about anthropology. She's talking about by observing the culture, you change it. Hey, her name was Annie and she became a nanny. And now she's going to become an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah. So um, Mrs. X is back at the nanny seminar. And uh, she's the one that puts on this videotape thinking that it's going to show Scarlet doing terrible things and get everybody on her side. What she doesn't realise is that this is going to be Scarlet doing a big spiel. And I really was looking forward to see this. And she really does. She lets this woman have it. And the directors play again with this because we're watching her on the screen. We're seeing her scream at Mrs. X about all the terrible things she's done wrong. And then suddenly Scarlet is in the room with them, standing in front of Mrs. X screaming. And then she's back on the TV. It plays around, breaks the fourth wall. And Scarlett Johansson, sweet, sassy, smart, Scarlett Johansson lays down the truth. And I think this is probably her first big monologue we've seen in a film, and it is good. She rides the anger and then brings it down and pulls at the heartstrings at the end, goes the quiet emotional angle at the end, because even though these parents are totally irredeemable shitheads, she still loves the kid. So the conclusion at the end, do we have a scene with Evans? No, we have a scene with the mum where the mum finally admits that Annie needs to be allowed to do the things that she wants to do and go her own path and find herself, which is anthropology. So she goes off to study and, of course, there is actually a scene with Chris Evans. Evans is back. Again, I talked about the reversal. Interesting here. Scarlet's in blue. He is in pink. And he gives her a letter from Mrs. X, which is a thank you and an apology. So look, everything is coming up. Scarlet looks like she's getting everything she wanted. And um, one of her final lines, which I guess is sort of summing up what this whole film was about, she says, there's a popular belief amongst anthropologists that you must immerse yourself in an unfamiliar world in order to truly understand your own. And she's now viewing herself as an exhibit in the museum. And in this exhibit, she's posed on the roof with beer and pizza, which is just an absolutely perfect frame that you want to climb into and then the red umbrella the mary poppins umbrella sails off through the sky and that's the end of the film well done everybody nanny diaries look i'm not saying this is one of my favorite films ever it's not i don't love this in the way that i love something like lost in translation or even match point it's still at its core it's not my type of story but for our purposes here on the show which is looking at Scarlett Johansson's performances this is really up there it might actually be her most confident and most nuanced performance yet 
It's a strong character. She's in control. And this is such a needed return to form. I'm really excited about it. So we often ask, why was she cast? Why did she do it? The, the script writers wrote this when they adapted the book. They wrote it specifically for her. They were very interested in her doing it. And why, of course, wouldn't she agree to star in a well-written, well-directed film where she has something to do, finally. So, Nanny Diaries, all the ticks. Now, we've got to do a little bit of housekeeping before we go. We've got to talk about Scarcabulary. 24 episodes in, still can't say it. Scarcabulary. That's the word or phrase that we learnt that we're going to add to the lexicon of Scarlet Science. And um, I wanted to coin a term for when Scarlet's playing this more awkward, quirky, clumsy version of herself. And I think that the best term to describe that would be Scarscar Binks. Oh, she's Scarscar Binksing it up again, falling on that stage, knocking over that pan. Miss a clumsy. Scarlet sits back in a chair and thinks, suddenly ScarJo doesn't seem so bad. We also need to talk about her three greatest feats. Number one, the fart that changed it all. The equalizer. It's like once she got into that bath, she was able to release all that pent up, fake, manufactured bullshit that some of those other directors had foisted upon her. Number two, the freedom dance. Love the freedom dance in the car. I think it's her first really great bit of visual comedy. And three, real talk here, let's be serious. It was a confident, nuanced performance, balancing both comedy and emotion perfectly. She was owning a film harder and more convincingly than I think she ever has before. And we must give her credit for that. Uh, This is further proof that she can carry a film, that she's a lead actress. May it continue to propel her to greater heights. Next time on ScarJo A Go Go, I'm not so optimistic. This is a film I'm not looking forward to. The other Bolin, Bolin, Bolin girl. Period piece. Do you know a, a little bit about all this stuff from studying uh, theatre in university? Anne Bolin. This thing's got Eric Banner in it. It's got Natalie Portman in it. I just think it looks really dire. I think it's going to be tough. But you know. Maybe I'll be surprised. I really don't even know how it was received. And we're going to find out. Oh, now I'm all anxious. You just feel that energy change? Suddenly I'm like, next week, i got to watch that. But look, we're really close to, uh, you know, some Black Widow even. We're getting to the pointy end of this whole thing. We'll ca- catch up before you know it. So fuck it, let's be positive. We can do it. We are going to get that other Berlin girl and uh, we are going to... Be respectful and open-minded. Listen to the other podcasts, I urge you. The other podcasts, it's not just me by myself. There are other hosts, which is uh, far more entertaining, I'm sure. There's The Book Was Better, the podcast where I read the book of the film. We analyse a shitty novelization of something. This week was Nancy Drew. Next week is The Goonies. And of course, every Monday is FP Cast, a pop culture podcast for fruitless pursuits where we review films, talk about pop culture news. You can find all these things at the Fruitless Pursuits website, www.fruitlesspursuits.com, including links to iTunes, where please rate and review. I've asked this for like 24 episodes. You guys have completely ignored the shit out of me. Fuck you guys. Uh, And you can also find links to our Facebook discussion pages, and uh, you can chat. 
directly to me and say, well, fuck me. No, fuck you, pal. I don't want to rate and review your stupid shit. Stop asking me, because every time you ask me, you know what? I want to do it less. And I'll be like, oh, yeah? Fuck me. Fucking you. Fuck your face. But that's not going to happen at all. I'm not going to say that. I'll take it back. Catch you next week. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.